Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Kendall Y. Hey, I'm Jordan Guess. All right, we're back. We are a little late again. Uh, not to point the finger, but it's the person who usually causes us to be late. <laughs> it was me. It was me. You know, it's funny. Actually, yesterday I slept in. That's why I uh, I had to call us off. So it's mm. being totally transparent. Wow, so, that's that seems irregular. Do you sleep in much? No, no, it's very irregular. Um, but I woke up and it was like 9 a.m. And I was like, I could rush over to the studio and still pull off the 930. But Raven really wanted me to take Bruno out because it was, you know, it's cold in the mornings right now. So anyways, I was like, I'm going to see if Kendall can move it. So, yeah, it wow, wasn't man. it wasn't good on my end, but I. You know, I just want to make sure I'm transparent with the listeners and and with you, Kendall. So I saved yeah, it to tell I, you now. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, sometimes you but, just gotta, you got to catch up on sleep. So I'm okay with it. The main thing though was I wanted to make sure we waited for the jobs report to come out before we recorded. So. Oh, okay, nice, <laughs> very very clever. Okay, yes. so I, I'm I'm gonna kick us off. Uh, we talked about this prior to the episode. There is a podcast that we both listened to that sparked some uh, some thoughts in our in our minds. And we Screaming were... alone in the car. Yes. So <laughs> at least for uh, me. So we're going to talk through it. Uh, I'm going to link it down in the show notes for anybody who wants to listen to it. The podcast is called Macro Voices. And it's uh it's Eric Townsend's podcast. He releases one episode per week. He is an ex-software entrepreneur turned hedge fund manager, which sounds a lot like me actually, but minus the minus the hedge fund. <laughs> uh, but uh, so he, I've been listening to his stuff for for a couple of years now. His stuff is uh, usually really quite good. Um. He he tends to focus on the oil trade. He's a that's mostly what his fund trades in is is a uh, oil. So yeah. he has lots lots of good oil content. Um. But uh, but yeah, what what do you, what do you, how else do I, should we should we tee this up, Jordan? Do, do we want to? Jump um, I would this? say yeah. I would say one thing to note. Uh, yeah, have a lot of respect for Eric. Uh, obviously, we disagree on a lot of things. I would say, but he also disagrees with a lot of things on from a lot of the mainstream. Um, not a Bitcoiner by any stretch, um, but got to respect the guy. He is trying to bring on people who uh, who have different opinions than than he does, so that it's not just an echo chamber every time when he's doing an interview. So, uh, and I would say, yeah, this was this was a, a really good example of uh, him it's almost like they got to the same place at the end, but how they see it happening, playing out is very different or almost opposite. So anyways, all that to say, um, you know, a lot of these podcasts are just guys sitting around trying to predict the future more or less. And, uh, but yeah, the guest was pretty infuriating. Honestly, I, I could not follow um, what okay. he was, his, his line of thinking and it was really making me upset i called you like two hours ago i was like you need to turn this on <laughs> yeah <So> it's, <laughs> it's fresh in my, it's fresh in my mind i literally just listened to it i also took notes all right good no joke cool um all right cool by, by the way down for us well by the just as a one more side note about eric townsend you said he's not a, a bitcoiner but i think he actually is uh somewhat a, somewhat bullish on bitcoin now he's not like a, once oil starts uh, settled in Bitcoin. I'm sure he'll uh, jump off the train. <laughs> so he actually wrote a book called Beyond Blockchain, The Death of the Dollar and the Rise of Digital Currency. And I have read the book. Um, and I actually think it's a bad book. It's not very good. <laughs> released what year? What year was it released? Just 2000, 2018, October 24th, 2018. <clears throat> okay. Not that long ago. So he actually talks a lot about Bitcoin and digital gold, and he understands the narrative. He he kind of do dove in in the book. He dove into like how he thinks cryptocurrencies can be used for new financial uh, instruments, like a new type of bond, which is secured on a public blockchain or something. I think most of that's bullshit, actually. 
Ben Hunt at uh, Epsilon Theory uh, has a really good piece called, um, what is it? It's like about coyotes and raccoons. And he argues that in the finance industry, there is a continuous, continuously revolving door of entrepreneurs coming in and promising this new financial instrument. And it's like, they try to describe it as like this new innovation when really it's just like a repackaged of the same thing. Everything's either a bond or a security. Those are the two types of financial instruments. Yeah. So anyway, to Eric Townsend's book is kind of like that. So it's not a very good book. Okay. So the so guest, guest, the guest's name is Alex Gervich. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. his name. Um, I totally agree that the, the, okay. The first half hour of the interview is maddening because I think, because I think the guest does such a poor job at just like describing his point of view. I agree. Um, like he, he, he throws out these wild claims initially, like he's bullish on the bond market and, um, and the stock market. Yeah. And then Eric kind of has to pull it out of him. What, to your point though, what's interesting is that Eric, they actually are at the end of the episode, somewhat in mo- mostly in agreement. I think they're like, it's a perfect example of people talking past each other. And if they just keep talking, they figure, they figure out what they're actually both saying. Um, so, okay. But here's the deal. I want to break down the guest's point of view, because I think by the end of the interview, I understood it. And I think it's actually somewhat compelling. Um, okay. okay. And, and the major dichotomy is pretty much, are we an inflationary like cycle? Or are we actually headed towards a deflationary cycle? Right. Is pretty much the crux of the argument. That's totally right. That's, that's like the crux of the argument. So Eric Townsend is of the opinion that we're in for secular inflation. And then his guest, Alex is of the opinion that we're in for a massive deflationary, uh, bust. And just so we're, just so we're clear, are we talking about monetary deflation or inflation or are we talking about price inflation right inflation? so that that's the that's the right question to ask that should have been approached at the beginning of the conversation because inflation is one of these words that everybody projects their own opinions onto when you hear the word inflation you think of maybe like housing food or you may, you may think of monetary inflation i may think of other things everybody sort of has their own biases of what inflation is um, so I think that the agreement that they both reached is that the, um, I'm sort of cutting to the chase here. Okay. Let me back up. So, so Alex is actually bullish on, tre- he's bullish on treasuries. He thinks that the, the treasuries are going to, re- so treasuries have been, have had a bad year. They've sold off yields are up more like at a quicker rate than they've ever been. And they're off of zero, which means that the multiple, is basically infinity when you divide by zero. It's been a crazy year for for treasuries. Alex is of the opinion that treasuries are going to have a comeback. It's going to be a big comeback. That caught that caught Eric Eric off guard when when, that, when he said that. Eric was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, no, no! We have to unpack that." <laughs> um, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, Eric Eric approaches his perspective from he thinks about energy and oil and he thinks that we're in for we're past this is luke roman's perspective of peak cheap energy so we're the peak of the cheapness of energy is behind us from here on out energy is only going to get more expensive eric townsend i believe is of that same same opinion um yeah. a lot of, a lot of people in my sphere are it's actually really good to hear alternative opinions it helps break break your cognitive sure. dissonance yeah or cognitive biases um, so, so, and the reason for that is essentially that we have not invested enough in energy, um, pretty much what do you want to like producing assets, whether it's like not the actual wells, insufficient capital investment in fossil fuel, uh, industries. So there, there haven't been enough people exactly investing in drill sites, wells, the manufacturing process, transportation, the whole shebang. So most of it's political, right? Because it's um if 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 fossil fuels are the are the bad guy in the room, 
then nobody's going to send money to them, right? I mean, why would I invest in that? It would be a terrible return on investment. And by the way, the past decade or two, most of the energy guys have gotten wrecked. They've they've all got right. wrecked almost. And it's because governments are, it's all political, right? Um, so, there's, so there's insufficient investment. There's also a claim to be made. There's multiple, there's a lot of different perspectives here, right? One, another one is that we are sort of running out of like the easy, like the low hanging fruits of the oil under, underneath their surface. So it's like the remaining oil deposits, while they exist, we can get to them. It's much more difficult, much more costly to get to. I've heard that claim. You know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Probably is true, would be my guess. Then there's like yeah. this, like there's this like really unsettling claim, which is that there is a group. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to frame it that way. There, there is leadership that thinks that there basically is too much. There's too many humans on the planet, right? And perhaps this is like the very extremely cynical way to describe this, but it is a, it is a perspective that I think does exist. And whether or not I'm describing it, you know, fairly, I don't know. This is just my words, but there, there is a perspective. There's basically overpopulation. We're destroying the planet, and we basically need to stop producing cheap fossil fuels because it's so destructive to everything. the 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 stance for that is actually that if if we if we truly wanted cheap energy we would build nuclear plants and yet we haven't. So why haven't we built nuclear? Okay. So that's, that's, yeah. you get a little, little tinfoil hat there, but I think that it's actually valid. <laughs> I think there is some, yeah, there, there are people of that opinion, whether or not they recognize it or not. They, there are people that are of that opinion. Right. There are some people who let it slip every once in a while that it's like, actually we're glad that gas prices are high because we don't want gas powered vehicles anymore. Right. Even if the majority of people can't afford an EV or could never operate on public transit or bicycling or walking. <laughs> and like you know? in, in there, in those people's defense, I disagree with that stance, obviously, but in their defense, I think most of the time their perspective is driven through a level of naivete. So they're, they're just naive. They think that they think that carbon, you know, loud truck engine bad and solar panel good, right? That's sort of their surface level understanding of the way the, the global economy works. So I think most of that is just naivete. Yeah. So anyway, there's just like all these secular reasons of why energy is becoming more expensive. First, and I got to say one more actually, which is the biggest one, which is just, it's a uh, political, you know, yeah. o OPEC, we can talk about that actually. OPEC plus this week said that they were, they're like their version of forward guidance. I don't know what they call it. Their forward guidance is that they're going to cut production by two quotas. million quotas, yeah, by two million barrels, which is a massive cut. I mean, the price of oil is up like every single day this week almost. Um, which is like Eric Townsend's very his long view is like oil will continue to pump um, over the next pretty much three to five years, and it's a really good good asset to be in i guess right is kind of his one of his takes yeah yeah and i'm of the same opinion yeah so oil is actually like up 20 percent off the lows from this year by the way also volatility is just insane right now it's like all over the place but but it uh, is so political and like you know to our to our conversation maybe a couple of weeks ago it's it's really like a few major players across the planet who kind of control what is uh what is produced what the quotas are and how it's distributed and so yeah it's it's very interesting but did you oh this is actually a little bit of a side tangent i think that it was on um i think that it was on what's it called the euro dollar university mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he had a yeah. quick did you hear his quick thing about china mm -hmm. What do you say? Oh no, no, sorry, I got mixed up. I got mixed up. That was actually still in this macro versus where he, where Eric was talking about at the very beginning, where he was talking about um, potentially trying to bribe uh, um, Venezuela. Yeah, with like, be like, we'll give you the prices that we give to Europe. Um, 
I think it was maybe Saudi. I I, I, I don't know if I should even be talking about it because I kind of forgot. But it's well, essentially they're the political. They're trying to essentially like control prices to, to certain areas in order to, hey, do what we want you to do kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind it's, of the general take. Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. It's very Sorry. interesting. No, it highlights it highlights the, the the broader point here, which is that this is very much a game of politics, of geopolitics, which when you tell people, when you tell investors that they're like, they get spooked. They're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how, <laughs> what to do with that. And I'm like, well, yeah. that's, that's the world you're living in. So face it or don't. Um, yeah. okay. So, but, um, the, the, the point that this, the, that Alex makes on the podcast is that the U S is basically going to, the U S is on the offensive to destroy global demand. I mean, like they're trying to wreck global demand, right. With, with energy, you have, with any asset, you have supply and demand, right? So you have two sides of the equation. You can either increase supply or you can reduce demand in order to bring the price down. What they're trying to do is just wreck global demand. And um, so Alex is of the opinion that that's exactly what's going on. And of course, we've seen that with the dollar index going up, that um, demand is getting wrecked. The thing is, is that um, I think that like where they came to, the agreement that they came to at the end is that energy prices can be high like energy prices can actually be inflationary as well as food because food and energy are kind of the same thing yeah and then everything else can be deflationary so everything else can actually go down in price which okay so i wanted to bring this up this spur uh, my this spurred my I, I, this podcast spurred a thought which was that the core pce basket of goods is what the fed is primarily focused on right in terms of their inflation targets they actually don't care about cpi they just care about the, the core cpe which and is everything except for food and energy everything except for food and energy and they made it clear that they they don't include that because they don't control the like they can't influence their monetary policy cannot influence those markets so my 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 knee-jerk reaction was oh my gosh do you know what's in pce housing shelter now the housing market that just this week is in a total panic and yeah. uh and understandably so but whenever i realized that thought so you have this dynamic where the the us needs prices to go down and but they can't control energy and then they also can't control food so what's the next biggest thing that they can control housing yeah so Look, I think I think this all comes down to housing. Whether or not the Fed pivots will come down to the housing market, in my opinion. Um, and I mean, it's already getting really bad out there. It's I saw our, I saw that new mortgage applicants down fourteen percent in one week. Yikes! It's pretty bad. I mean, I was talking just this is uh, just anecdotal, obviously, but. Talk, talking with, uh, I might have mentioned this to you, maybe a, co a coffee on Saturday, but uh, won't name any names, but talk to a mortgage guy who was like, yeah, I might need to go back to bartending a little bit because pretty much business has fallen off a cliff in terms of mortgage stuff, which understandably, why, why would you want to go out there and get a mortgage for six plus whatever it is sitting at today percent? To totally understandable. And here's my perspective. We're on the, we're on the brink right now. Like I think the brink is today and whether or not the fed pivot, the fed has to pivot soon or else they're not going to pivot. And if they don't pivot soon, then housing is going to get wrecked. You might see housing retrace prices all the way back to the global financial crisis. Now, would that be insane? Um, be a nice win for millennials and Gen Z. That's the thing. Like politically, politically, it could work out in their favor. Like, if here's there's there's a political dynamic to this. You know, it's like the uh, the millennial and the consumer, they want cheaper housing, right? They need that, but the entire housing industry doesn't. If they, if like all, if you get these like brokerages and. Uh, Real estate is a weird thing where it is very heavily integrated into government agencies. 
uh, they're like, for example, there are real estate agencies which are like de facto government institutions, but they like aren't technically under the legislation of the state. And it's like, well, what's going on here? Like, is this a government institution or is this a private? It's very unclear. So there's this really weird thing that the, the real estate industry has their their tentacles very deep in into into government. And so I guarantee you, over the past month, uh, the Fed has gotten a lot of uh, phone calls from major real estate investors in the United States. I can like BlackRock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I need to look into that. Maybe we can save that for another episode, but what has BlackRock been doing with their single family residency, you know, family homes that they've been buying over the past two years or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think um, it would actually be a pretty nice win um, for younger people, but man, it would it would potentially unravel a lot of things. Because just think about how much is how much real estate is collateralized for all kinds of loans, right? Um, and I guess that's more commercial, but even some of your some of your residential, if you're uh, you know if you're out there trying to flip homes or you're trying to rent out homes, you know, use equity in one home to purchase another one, all that kind of stuff. So that's where you get into a lot of issues of well, the housing market has only been going up since. Well, for a long time, but really ripping since COVID, right? And um, then then everyone gets real comfortable with that. And they're like, okay, I feel good about this. I'm going to take out some debt on my equity. And, you know, we'll just see. I think another big piece that we've got to keep our eye on is the labor market and where that goes. Because obviously right now, everything is still more or less hunky-dory because everyone's still more or less employed. And if that were to take a turn, then it's like, if that were to take a turn and then housing goes upside down for a lot of places, for the higher um, priced homes areas, it's like, okay, now we have a real, a real issue. So that was like the, um, that's the part where I take issue with Alex's perspective is that you end up in a world of insolvency problem where everybody has outstanding debt they can't be they can't be repaid of course his perspective is that treasuries are only the liability of the US government and the US government can never default cuz they can just print the money um but the un- the insolvency the widespread insolvency it's so politically untenable like it's difficult to imagine it, you know it's we're really back into a corner here because the the politics is very much focused on inflation and now they're about to realize that they're going to have deflation and that's even worse politically like what's the saying it's like a recession is when your neighbor loses his job a depression is when you lose your job yeah um so so yeah really politically things are not looking looking great but there but at the end there they were both like we're headed towards a global depression, right? More or less. Yeah. Not that's... to scaremonger or anything, but that was that was what they said. And they have a much bigger audience than we do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Listen, we don't have a big audience, so who cares? We can shoot the shit. The uh <laughs> I I was sent I was sent a tweet by somebody today that um somebody in the made a bet in the CBO, which is the Chicago what is the CBO? It's a futures market. It's a futures exchange. It's a derivative. Chicago Board Options Exchange. Somebody made a okay. bet that the VIX will hit 150 by March 2023. Right. So and that's just a number. So let me put that into context. So right now the VIX is at 30. The VIX is a volatility index, right? It's at 30. And the highest it's ever been is like 90. Okay. Now there it's now it doesn't go back. It only goes back like a few, like three or four decades. And apparently the 1987 crash would have had a VIX of like a hundred over a hundred, like 120. The point is, is that 150 has never been seen first off. And like 150 is like Armageddon level <laughs> of financial collapse. Cause that's measuring the swings in 
ups and downs across is it across all industries all like sectors i think it's just the s&p 500 right oh okay i think that's what it is but the thing is it's um that everything is kind of correlated to together so whenever you have volatility in one thing it usually proliferates to other things the problem with volatility is that people get margin called so like what what happened in the in uh in england with the 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 gilts yeah the gilts we talked about last episode um that was a margin call scenario where the pension funds got margin called um so you have this cascading uh contagion whenever you have volatility super high so anyway in that bet the size of that bet was a million dollars somebody bet a million dollars it's gonna hit 150. (laughs) so i guess on the back well, I guess walk me through on the back end. There's like a bunch of other people who are putting in money saying that's not going to happen. Uh, at some sort of futures contract. Yeah. So somebody, oh, okay. so we took the other side of that trade. Yeah. So, so the, the, the holder of that position has to pay a premium to the other person. Gotcha. I, I don't fully understand. Like I was curious <laughs> what the payout would be, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Um, <laughs> but They'll Dude. probably make a movie about that guy in like five or ten years. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's or the next, gal or gal. Mike, that's the next Michael Burry. It could also have just been like a a hedge fund taking like a hedge position, but I don't really know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, they did. They both did come to the conclusion that we're in for a global depression. But the only it, reason he was saying that we were going to experience deflation is just because he was almost. At the end of it, he was more bearish about the state of things than even Eric is. And that's how he was coming to the conclusion, well, actually, demand is just going to plummet so much that prices have to drop because everyone's going to be pretty much like out of work and markets are going to be crashing. But it was a huge difference from his beginning, how he was talking about how other things are going to rip. So it really confused me. It was confusing. I agree, and perhaps he didn't fully understand his own perspective. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the the thing that I think he came away with is that he's he's actually really bullish on U.S. Treasuries specifically, mm-hmm. because because Treasuries are the liability of the the U.S. government, and the U.S. government it basically never risks insolvency because they can just print more money. Yeah. Um, so I think that he like his opinion was like basically the whole system is wrecked and. The only thing that's safe is treasuries, um, gotcha. which I can understand. Actually, that's a, that that was the compelling that was a compelling point. But uh, I think what he didn't like one thing that I would have asked him that wasn't raised is that if so, the way that the government pays those liabilities is they take on more debt, right? So they issue they issue new treasuries to pay for their old treasuries. And um, while it it may be true, it's an interesting, it's an ongoing debate. It's the debate that Luke Roman has all the time, which is like, if they have to see, there's a debt to GDP problem. The debt to GDP yeah. is too high. It's out of control. So their interest expense on the debt alone is going to, you're going to have fiscal dominance. Like the, basically the government is going to have to, run the entire global economy (laughs) yeah i don't understand how it's gonna work to me it feels a lot like we are living through the titan like the titanic but at scale and like the u.s the u.s is the titanic and everyone's like it could never sink it could never sink there's literally no way it could ever fail and that is just a strongly held belief by the vast majority of people and what if one day we wake up and it's like it actually failed. Do you see that as any kind of possibility? Or is it like, no, that could never happen. It's it's just not possible. Okay, I think it is possible. And it's far more likely than the average the average global citizen realizes. And it's extremely unsettling. But uh wow, now we're really bearish. We're really deep in the, <laughs> deep in the hole now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean let but me uh I want to read there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I want to I want to read ahead. something. Okay. 
Stanley Drunkenmiller, Drunkenmiller was at a CNBC conference last week or two weeks ago. I'm glad you brought this up. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to find the full talk. They haven't posted it yet online. I, I suspect at some point in the future they will. But uh, okay, Drunkenmiller is sort of like me. He has a a bearish bias, so you have to be a little bit um, skeptical about you know some of his some of his perspectives. And but like I'm... you, he's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> uh, actually, I kind of don't want a billion dollars, but uh, a whole nother set of liabilities. Okay, so Joe Kernan, who I actually really like, Joe Kernan, he's my favorite CNBC uh, host. Joe Kernan asked him, there was a time in college campus when you went to a college campus and you talked about equity and debt. I think in this case, the Fed induced, uh, sorry, hold on. Basically, Joe Kernan asked Drunken Miller, Drunken Miller, like, is the system blowing up? That was the question. Right yeah. way. Here was, here was Drunken Miller's response. We are in deep trouble. So everything I said at those college is worse in terms of the metrics, except for one thing. And what I miscalculated was I didn't calculate zero rates. I used 4% rates. This was, he did, he was referencing a, a prediction he made from like 2015. So like seven or eight years ago. But the only thing Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton agreed on in 2016 was don't cut social security, don't cut entitlements. So nothing was done. Joe Biden uh, tried, he dared mention that we shouldn't be increasing senior pays. But if you look at the reversal, I just, hold on. Blah, blah. Okay. By 20, by 2027, the interest expense alone on the debt eats all healthcare spending. So that's all healthcare. By 2047, it eats all discretionary spending. So now you're getting to, into fiscal dominance. This is what I was referencing. Basically, the government mm -hmm. just runs the entire economy. By, by the way, in 49, it eats all of Social Security. That's just the interest expense, okay? Yep. That's like... You know, when you when you pay your mortgage bill, you're like, oh, I got a fifty dollar payment that, I, that I'm just burning. That's your interest expense. Yeah, all that entire expense gets eaten away by these, or the, those those entire programs get eaten away by this expense. So he said, we're getting to the point now where the interest expense on the debt is so high that it's going to eat up our ability to basically service the next generation. And they said, I'm not even sure about the current one. Joe Kernan responds, okay. <laughs> They laugh. He's like, uh, you weren't supposed to say that, sir. <laughs> Joe, Joe Kernan goes, or Drunken Miller says, I brought some cyanide pills if you'd like one. And then yeah. uh, Kernan goes, Kernan goes, well, no, no, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking maybe, because I'm, I'm thinking maybe we'll be okay. But, and then Drunken Miller goes, yeah, because we'll be dead. <laughs> so, yeah, not good. Not good. He did say another quote he had, I could see cryptocurrency having a big role in a renaissance because people just aren't going to trust the central banks. So that's right. Key, keyword renaissance. Okay. Keyword. Yeah. That is not a word used lightly. So I think, I think he also talked about at some point recently, he talked about how, oh, that was the talk with Palantir. He talked about how some of the, we, we went through financial distress in the 70s right and um some of the best companies were originated out of that time period right so apple came out of that time period microsoft came out of that time period so there is there is reasons to be bullish but yeah yeah i mean and this guy is not just some rando like it says here he was previously a managing director at soros fund management where he had overall responsibility for funds with a peak asset value of $22 billion. And his personal net worth is currently $6.4 So, I mean, well, it was almost like uh, he's up there, you know, with some of those guys. Well, he's probably much richer than those guys who were up there on the Bitcoin stage. Uh, remember that? Yes. That was the first day, I think. Yes. Um, so, anyways, when you're when you got people who manage that amount of wealth, uh, pretty much coming forward and saying the system is broken and there's pretty much no way out of this without a lot of pain. Then it's like, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like we're fear mongering at all. It's just like, this is just reality. And a lot of people have been lied to for a lot of years. And so you kind of just have to say the truth, even if it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you could be, a you could be accused of the, if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. So. Right. Totally. Totally. It's a difficult 
it's a difficult um subject to broach but uh i don't know maybe what if everything's fine what if we're all just in our own we're just overreacting (laughs) everything is fine just go back eat your bugs and own nothing you'll be you'll be just fine u.s oil is up 4.27 percent on the day right now wow yeah everything's down again today so not good the Dow's down almost 700 points. What? So No, it's not. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, no, no. It's down oh, 700 uh, dollars, not points. Okay. Sorry. Dollars. Yeah. 230 <laughs> points, which is still a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yikes. Misspoke. Um, okay. What else happened? I know we're not going to talk about Elon. We don't talk about Elon on this, on this program. Dude, I'm just so, so I'm just so tired of hearing about news about Elon. One question: Is Trump coming back on Twitter? Uh, no, probably not. Okay, that's what I've heard as well. I've heard Trump say he is not coming back, even if he's allowed back on. So we'll see how that goes. But it is a story that we should follow, not necessarily the Elon piece, but just Twitter as as a whole, big tech as a whole, might provide. Uh, access point for Zuckerberg to be more free speech oriented like he was back in, I think he gave a speech in like 17, 2017 about it. So anyways, we'll keep our eye on on the free speech piece. I feel like it's uh there's a there's a unspoken consensus in the Twitter, at least in the FinTwit world right now, which is that the the runway of Twitter is very short. We're gonna find there's something else gonna pop up in the coming years and we're all gonna move to that. But people have no idea what it is yet. It's Twitter X. I was thinking, dude, I was thinking, well, I, I could try to build it. And then I was like, well, what would I call it? And I was like, well, I can't think of a good name, but I need it to sound like Twitter. Mm. <laughs> the th- another Twitter, bird, another. Twitter has really good branding. The concept oh, of a great, of a great tweet, branding. The, the word tweet is so valuable in and of itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk off air about that. That okay, we'll we'll bring it back. We'll try to be we'll try to have a positive spin. Again, there is so much opportunity right now. Um, and there and there's even more going to be more um if you're smart over the next five years to pretty much benefit, sadly, off of terrible decision making that's happened for like the last seven years. So all that to say, everyone stay stay creative out there. Stay thinking of ways to solve problems for people at scale. And who knows, you might build you might build the next um, big thing. I don't even know if I want to call it an application because who knows where all this is going, right? But not to. Um, I always reference Ben Hunt's material. Ben Hunt, Epsilon Theory, man. Yep. The guy. The guy just. He knows his stuff, okay? Yeah. Um, he has a piece called Make, Protect, Teach. And I'm going to link it in the in the notes. I really encourage everybody to go read that. It, um, okay. it lays out um, and I, like a, a strategy of like, how do we, how do we dig ourselves out of, you know, a lot of the problems that we see in the world today? And his, his mantra is make, protect, teach okay it's very good on the very good all right what else has happened this past week anything else that came to mind to you okay so yeah in celsius uh, this week celsius the the former crypto yield platform or whatever some bullshit ponzi scheme um uh just kidding (laughs) (laughs) they they had a they got they they leaked or someone leaked or hacked or something a pdf with like the entire transaction history of all their users and like all their funds and apparently the leadership tried to make away with tens of millions of dollars prior to filing for bankruptcy this guy is probably going to prison would be my guess. That was my initial reaction. Is that guy is probably going to be behind bars. That would be great. It's actually that is that is um, a little bit of a consistent story right now. 
uh, people finally being brought to bear for for scams, um, pump and dump type of activity in crypto. So that's good. So yeah, sounds like Alex. How do you say his last name? Mashinsky. Mahinsky. I think it's just Mahinsky. Okay, Mahinsky. And then um, and then Kim Kardashian. She also had uh, oh. what was it? A ten? I think it was like a ten or twelve million dollar fine mm-hmm. from the SEC for pumping a coin without disclosing that she owned it. No, it was um, it was only like a one point five million dollar fine, and she didn't wow. have to like admit faults or anything she just had to pay the fine or whatever it was a really weird situation i don't know i can't believe when i see that shit on my timeline i'm like get it out of here i don't want to see this <laughs> this is garbage it is garbage yeah. <laughs> i saw a funny tweet today that was like if there's a pretty girl in your dms telling you about bitcoin you should block him yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Which is so true. Very, you, very true. I get like five of those a day. Do you get a lot of those? I, I don't. Maybe not five, but several a day. Not, not anymore. Um, but it used to. It used to be. It used to not be that. It wasn't that high for me ever. But I would say during like the la- like this time last year, it was pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. So. And then, but it was fun. Like I had fun with them. I would be like, yeah, I have lots of questions about trading Bitcoin. And, and then like, we'd go down the rabbit hole a little bit with them and just be like, my first question is how long have you been scamming people? And it was always so funny because some people would be like, yeah, I've actually made a lot of money scamming people. Like oh, it'd no be way. totally upfront would be like <laughs> one guy was like, yeah, I've made roughly 30 Bitcoin so far uh, scamming people. I was what? like, holy crap. So anyways, everyone be be very, very careful out there, please. Mm. Don't trust verify. So um that's yeah, it. That's trying- that's all I got. You got anything else? Um uh, I I will just be okay. We 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 should come back to oil just for a moment. Okay. Because it is crazy and we should just bring it up. The fact that we are depleting our strategic petroleum reserve right now to levels like not seen in a long 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 time i think mm-hmm. um and pretty much having our hands tied by opec to make it harder for us to be able to refill that it sounds like or at least refill it at higher prices and um just it's just a political issue that no one wants to i, I like i have not heard anybody address um in the political sphere left or right you actually think the right would there's kind of an opportunity for them to kind of jump on that but if for midterms but they have not for whatever reason so i guess yeah. it's because mostly the races right now are happening in like either state level or like just congress so do you do you think that we'll see a little bump in risk assets before the elections like into the elections like on election day, do you think that QQQ is higher or lower than it is today? Uh, I think it's higher. <clears throat> I mean, my understanding is that normally markets react positively to like pretty much just elections being settled. And and it makes sense because it's like, you know, for pretty much a year and a half, every every two years, you just don't really know where things are headed politically. And um you know, you, once you kind of understand like, okay, where's Congress? What's their priorities? What are they going to end up being able to reasonably pass? And maybe they get some of that stuff done. Then for like a year or so, you're like, okay, now what? And and where's this going over the next, you know, two years in terms of power? So mm-hmm. I think once people get some, like, they can kind of find their footing of like, okay, we have a, we, we keep a Democratic Congress or we have a flipped uh, Republican Congress then you can kind of make decisions easier that way, especially in the, uh, you know, especially in the oil and gas, like they could always, they could probably uh, breathe a pretty big sigh of relief if Congress gets flipped because they're like, well, at least now we have two years of buffer where we're not going to have huge like regulations or it's not going to be as easy, right. To pass bills to come down on us. Dude. I don't know if there's ever been a, if I've ever witnessed a bigger rug pull, in my life than than green energy is getting rug pulled right now. I mean, crazy. 
a few years from now, we may look back and be like, what were we all thinking? That was crazy. And not that I, I'm not like anti-green energy, right? I've explained this before. I just, you know, it's just like, there is like a sort of mass psychosis, I think, associated with it. Um, it's kind of like crypto in a way yeah. where people are just like, this could be the answer to all of our problems. Um, and essentially, there's just a lot of unproductive. The The main difference, though, is crypto is completely on its own in terms of government subsidy, right? Whereas oh, yeah. green energy... <laughs> It is only propped up by government subsidy at this point. So, and I guess that is a pretty big difference, but well, I'm the, you, uh, I think people are going to figure it out pretty soon. Regarding the SPR, your comment there, I would I would raise a potential context, which is that first off, I, would, I think a lot of the SPR stuff is just like it happens behind closed doors. And so the public has no real idea of what's happening there. There could be actual, I think like I can see a potential strategy here, which is that if they think, so right now the real issue for the West is OPEC and Putin is sort of at the, at the, at the lead there. And if, if the West's defense departments think that they can stomp Putin now within six months, then perhaps the SPR release does actually make sense because it dampens market volatility, which um, which avoids potential financial crises. Um, of course, you're playing a big risk there because if you can't stamp, stamp him out in six months, then you're also now out of your, you now no longer have your leverage. So now he has even more leverage on his side, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I definitely think it's not wise. I heard one, I was surprised to hear this because it's this a guy who I, I think is really credible. I heard one discussion around like, well, what the government should do is flood the market with spot supply which will tank the price and then go into the futures market and buy a bunch of futures contracts at a cheap price, mm. which, the, which will, they'll then take delivery of at a later date to, to fill their, their reserves. I don't think that governments can participate in futures markets. Okay. I think that, I think that's not, uh, that's not something that can happen on like an operational yeah. perspective because futures markets are very thin. They're not like, there's not a large, there's not a ton of liquidity. I don't think the future, I think if the government stepped in the futures market, all it would be like oil would moon. I think, I think everything would go crazy. So, yeah. I mean, I just sent you the link for, uh, it's from the U S energy information administration and it shows pretty much from like 1977 all the way to, it only shows through July of this year. And it's been it's down even further, but I mean we're we are at like 1985 levels right now, so like we haven't seen it this low, and and it's really it's lower than that because right now it's saying 468,000 barrels, but I mean we're and that's July 22. I mean we're sitting here in October, so I would I'm they've super, depleted it more since then. I'm super curious, like how this works operationally like where is the actual spr reserves is it like in a mountain wouldn't you like to know colorado it's probably not <laughs> you probably can't know it's probably right it's probably a matter of national security it could yeah. be right underneath of us we don't even know it could be right it here could in be. kentucky we do have fort knox we do have caves i think I, i've heard someone say that they keep it in they keep it underground for some reason like they fill up these giant underground caves or something with oil i don't know something crazy don't tell the green people about that. <laughs> um, so I, I just think it's, it really is a, a risky move. There's just a lot of, like even, you know, Drunken Miller was saying that the Fed is making a lot of risky moves right now. Um, his, his words were taking unbelievable risks. That is his words about the Federal Reserve. So we're pretty much, it, it feels like we are desperate at this point. That is kind of what it feels like. And then obviously they have to go out and put a face on like, yeah, everything's fine. Why are you worried? 
like and and pretty much gaslight people right and um maybe that maybe that has to happen though right i would raise oh it has to happen it has I know, to happen i know that there's like you can look at that and be like oh they're lying to us but like maybe that maybe that is the right thing to do right that's what COVID taught us <laughs> yeah if you maybe. lie if you lie at scale but if you do it in a right way that's actually best what you should do maybe okay i don't know <laughs> anyways all right i'll take my tinfoil hat off now um everyone go hug your family and uh you know try to keep increasing your income decreasing your expenses and, and be ready uh, for whatever happens and make protect and teach that's what i said yes i'm gonna read that i'm gonna read that this weekend you got any fun weekend plans to share with the, the group kindle yeah my uh my my cousin who lives in la is in town this weekend so he's coming over for breakfast tomorrow very cool yeah all righty and you've got a new barn door i saw in your home i do yeah the barn door turned out amazing i was like so proud of myself dude oh my gosh it turned out really well because you pretty much i mean it looked like you kind of diy'd it in your I did every, uh, I did everything, everything from scratch. I routed, I routed a tongue and groove on the, on the sides of the boards. I I sanded it. I had to cut precision, you know, like uh, angles. Um, And the, the, honestly, the hardest part is hanging the thing because you have to get the the measurements exactly right. It has to be exactly level. If a barn door is not level, it won't stay in place. It won't stay in place, right? It'll roll to one side or the other. Um, Makes sense. So I took my time. I, I, I went really slow. That's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the secret of how to do these things is take your time. You're going to, you're going to do just fine in this global depression. You're already learning how to do things with your hands. You have a garden in the back. You're ready. I'm thinking Everyone about become more like Kindle. I'm thinking Seriously. about getting some chickens. Okay. I, I might get some chickens. That would be amazing. Very cool. All righty. Well, there you have it. I hope everyone listening has a great weekend as well. And we will be back next week with all the news and the memes. All right. Bye. See y'all.